0: Welcome Welcome to Kassah Live. I think we're officially live. I think we've made it. I think uh, all the interwebs are on our side, hopefully today. But (laughs) welcome, everyone. Welcome to Kassah Live. Thank you for joining us. Um, This is right out of the gate. My biggest question right out of the gate is, Kristen, how are you feeling?
1: (laughs) Much better, thank you. Much better. We missed you. Thank you. Oh, I did watch the show live last, last week. It was awesome. Um, so I was glad yeah, to see you so excellent me. job. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: Do an excellent yeah,
1: day. my what my husband calls the vid. I got it.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: But I'm better now, yep. Everything's good. So uh still can't taste about fifty percent of my from my smell, but uh everything else is doing pretty good. So Good to be yeah, back. look at that.
0: I mean, you 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 quit smoking. You got your sense of smell back, and then the vid came along. Right, but, you know, <laughs> I'm just gonna take it right away from you.
1: It's
0: no, oh, it's it's not. Is it me? Gizarre. It's not me. Oh, it was Kristen. Kristen froze up.
1: Oh, did I? Oh, oh shoot. Yeah. yeah,
0: just a little bit. See, okay, that I oh. should have. I shouldn't have said anything. I said. I said I'm... the interwebs were on our side today, and.
1: And now he just, fro- now, now Logan just frozen up, but Alex didn't. So I don't know, I've got,
0: nice, I've did got not. One,
1: I'm hardline today. I can't figure out what's going on. So I don't know why that's doing
0: that. So. Oh, weird, <laughs> but, oh well, is it? I'm not gonna say the name of the company. Does it start with an S? No, a V. You're,
1: no, not oh. a V. No, it does start with an S. It does, I'm oh. sorry, wrong company. I'm thinking my cell phone, no, yeah.
0: I'm oh sorry. yeah. Yeah, the one we that starts with them. S. is no good. <laughs> I just got rid of them.
2: I have, I have, we don't I have, have one that starts with S.
0: Oh no! Get rid of the one that starts with S, Alex. It's no good.
2: I'm, I like it. I just need to work out the like you know the range of the router. That's my big problem.
0: I'm gonna send you the thing that I'm buying. It's All like right. a mesh network thing. It's really cool yeah, and fancy. Yeah. And I'm that's buying good. one real soon. It's apparently what I need. That's what, you gotta get the in. we gotta get the mesh networks, man.
1: Yeah, I thought about doing that, but I've got a cord going all the way from my living room into my dining room here. I'm hard lined in, but the our only other option up here is like Frontier. Yeah. Which is like yeah, I just 10 I upgraded to uh, isn't, that, isn't that like still modem dial up? Oh God, I don't, I don't know. know.
0: We have a uh, we have a fiber optic company in town um, that started up four or five years ago here, and they've just been expanding ever since. And I've been waiting because I kind of wanted to wait. Because when companies like this start to expand, like things can go real wrong, real fast, a whole lot. So I waited. And from my understanding and other people around here that I talked to about it, they were like, no, dude, it's really good now. You should get it. Go ahead. We don't have any issues. So finally, I pulled the trigger on it. It's been really good so far, but the like router that I have sucks. So I have really good internet to the house now, but like my internet within the house is junk because the router is junk. So I'm going to shoot Alex a link to this fancy mesh thing. But the, my first thought was like, oh, this is like coil technology, right? We went from round wire and it got better when we got mesh. And then I was like, no, wait, Logan, this is total, this is not the same. <laughs> uh, anyway, so there's nothing wrong with wa- round wire anyway.
2: Uh, Alex, hey, how are you? Hey, how are you? Doing just fine. Uh, it's Saturday, so... <laughs>
0: Okay. <laughs> that's my cool. answer. That's, well, you're here, uh, so here. That, that's a that's a positive note. I'm here too. That's that's kind of where I'm at. I just did like 13 days straight at work. I didn't take any days off. I was like, I need to make some money right now. And then in the middle of making money, I had like a head cold. And then like halfway, like I got halfway through my head cold, and I got into a whole bunch of poison ivy. So I was like sick and poison ivy on top of it, and like miserable. But I'm good now. I'm good now. (laughs) My head is good, and uh, I have banished all the the poison ivy away. So I'm no longer itchy and sneezy. Much better. Anyways, all right. That's enough of all of that. Enough of the the pre-show conversation here. Let's get right into it. Alex, are you ready? I'm ready. All right, let's do the thing. What do you got for us this week? What do we need to keep an eye on? What is happening?
2: So, um, it is August. It is a slow month for new legislation to be introduced. Um, But we did include um, something in our podcast this week. Uh, Didn't have an alert up about this. This is sort of a a final vote um, type of situation here. Um, And this was, I'm scrolling, I'm scrolling. Uh, it's all the way down. Uh, Springdale, Arkansas. Um, I believe it's an add to stream. There we go. Was Springdale, Arkansas um, was expanding uh, or considering banning vaping and in in, in using smoke-free tobacco in uh, outdoors in parks. I believe this would be a sort of a city-owned property thing. And this $500 fine seems to be something that is pretty typical. Um, that's the county that I live in, in New York, Clinton County. Um, all, there's all signs all over the place that, you know, you can't use, you can't even have tobacco, uh, (coughs) excuse me, uh, like you cannot have tobacco on your person walking into the county municipal building, uh, or it's a $500 fine. Um, so of course I always use snus and nobody checks my lip at the door. So, um, good luck with that. Um, <laughs> I guess if Any city or county officials are listening. I just admitted to a crime, so they'll um, <laughs> right. so I'll, I'll send you a. With,
1: <laughs> with Springdale, it's not just like people might think county property or city property means like the grounds of the courthouse or something. But no, it's all parks, any trails that are in the city, um, inside the city zone or whatever you want to call it. Um, so yeah, it's kind of silly. And could it's, they get you, you on municipal or-
0: sidewalks?
1: I don't know. No, it doesn't say that. Uh, more rec- from what I sound from what it sounds like, but it includes like 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 Alex said, it includes things like snooze. It's like, what are you gonna do? Yeah. Check my mouth if I'm, I'm walking on the trail to see if I have snooze in my mouth? I mean, it's just ridiculous.
2: Yeah. So that that was something that was proposed here in in, in Plattsburgh, and and it was a you know possession or use in a in a city owned park. And the way that the ordinance is written, it also includes the 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 sidewalk on the edge and like half of the street, Uh, the signage here is really poor uh, and it was not restricted to people under the age of 21 or 18 or whatever. It was anybody, any age possessing or using tobacco on a city owned property was a five hundred dollar fine. And that's um, that is excessive. uh, And of course, you know, criminalizing possession. Uh, in, in places like that is also pretty, pretty stupid and can lead to disproportionately enforcing that law against um, poor people and people of color. So um, anyway, that was that's sort of the new thing that came up. We, we didn't have a call to action up in time. Often we don't find out about these things until the last minute. Um, the other thing is uh, for anybody who didn't catch the podcast last week, uh, we went down all of the stuff that we're talking about. So I'll just briefly mention it here. Um, uh, Meal Lacs County in Minnesota uh, is looking at a flavor ban. This is a draft ordinance. Uh, this is coming up Tuesday, September 7th. Uh, Denver, Colorado is also looking at a flavor ban. Uh, we expect introduction or a hearing uh, sometime in September. Um, uh, Columbia, Missouri. I don't think this is moving forward, so I won't pay much time for this. Uh, and then Michigan has the uh, Department of Health rule Uh, Which is a flavor ban, Uh, people in Michigan. You'll be seeing something from us soon. Um, If you are inclined to write letters to the editor or op-eds or stuff like that, um, certainly share your experience with vaping. Why? Why flavors are important. Um, The more, the merrier. Yes, your local officials do read the local newspaper, uh, so that's a good way to get your stories in front of them. Um, And the update here. And of course, all of that, you know, check out uh, the previous week's podcast and you will see calls to action for these soon. Um, We're just not if anybody's wondering why the delay, uh, we sort of get one shot at this when we send out an email blast. That's when we get the most participation. So it's best to do that a little bit closer to any kind of event um, for the legislation. And so that's why we're sort of keeping our powder dry until it makes sense. Um, the, other, the, the other update here is from Washington County, Oregon. Um, we talked about this last week. This is an, an adult-only flavors restriction is kind of how I'm talking about it. Uh, it also bans discounts or coupons. Um, and so what is being proposed is that uh, it's not an all-out flavor ban, but it would restrict sales of flavored vapor products, flavored, I think, all tobacco products, uh, to adult-only establishments. Uh, there are, I'm sure, a lot of people who think that this, th- this is reasonable. Um, I, I, I don't entirely disagree. If, that's, if the option is flavors are banned or adult-only establishments, I'll take adult-only establishments. Uh, it's similar to how many states regulate alcohol. Um, but uh, this appears as though it may be sort of a Trojan horse. Um, meaning they sound reasonable up front, but then as the ordinance is going through the process, it can quickly be amended. uh, And uh, this this can sort of pull the rug out from under people. Uh, It can quickly be amended to be an entire, a a total flavor ban. So um, keeping our eyes on Washington County, Oregon. uh, And uh, the first reading for this was this week on Tuesday, the 24th. Uh, And so we're keeping an eye out for when a public hearing might be scheduled. Um, And quick, Mm -hmm. just to touch on that idea. And I know we've I know we've talked about this
0: in the past, but for people who are, you know, inclined to support that, I just want to remind folks that there are there's a huge population of folks that live in rural areas that do not have access to shops like that. But they do most likely have access to a gas station or a convenience store where combustible tobacco products are still readily available to them. So, right, like, do we really just want to support it? I I just wanted to throw that out there because a lot of people, I think, forget that, especially if you live in a big city, if you live where vape shops are readily available to you, you go, yeah, just we'll just have them at the vape shop. Well, not everybody has access to vape shops or adult-only stores like that.
2: Yeah, and this 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 is a uh, this is part of a conversation that I think we'll pay more attention to later on in the podcast uh, when we talk about uh, some of the other news from the, this week. Um, so yeah, we'll, we'll we'll definitely talk more about that. Um, other than that, I know we've already seen some comments in chat. Um, some folks are, are asking about what happens after September 9th um, and all e liquids being banned. Um, First of all, I, I think uh, you know this is a sort of a legislative issue. It's more regulatory, but um, I, I have to. I think full disclosure: we don't have any you know insider information, or uh, you know we don't have anybody in inside FDA feeding us secrets or anything. So this is this is a lot of speculation on our part. Um, my my take on on FDA and PMTA authorization is that if FDA is sticking to their proposal uh, from 2017 or, uh, from their proposal to ban menthol cigarettes, uh, then they will need to approve, uh, a flavor other than tobacco, namely mint or menthol. Um, and so when we see flavor bands like this, uh, it doesn't, they, they, they don't discriminate against in between menthol, mint, and, and all of the other flavors. So, um, from our harm reduction perspective, we want those flavors to be available, uh, if it, even if it's just menthol, uh, because there are a lot of people who are smoking menthol cigarettes who are who may find themselves on the business end of a coercive policy, uh, and so we want to make sure that they have, um, you know, somewhere somewhere to go that is a smoke free and a safer alternative. Also, apologies for leaving that screenshot up for so long. Um, uh, but uh, the other side of this is that, and again, this is pure speculation, and we haven't seen a good indication that FDA would allow flavors uh, this week because of the products that they decided to rip off the the, the market. Um, but it is entirely possible that one of the bigger companies who can actually afford this process, there are companies that can afford to do the randomized control trials and the longitudinal studies. It is entirely possible that they are submitting data that will convince the FDA uh, that flavors are vital, that they are appropriate for the protection of public health. Um, So I don't want people to give up hope on fighting flavor bans thinking that the FDA is gonna be the ultimate authority here. Um, States have a tremendous amount of power. Uh, Even if FDA approves a flavored product, states can go above and beyond that. We've already seen that in Massachusetts, New Jersey, New York, um, and, and California's got something pending, of course, waiting for the, the, uh, the election. Um, so, uh, it, there's, there's no reason to give up hope and, 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 and walk away thinking that we're all just doomed. Um, there's still lots of work to do. Uh, and that's why we keep putting out these calls to action. So, um, Correct me if I'm wrong, but here
0: in New York, we're, we're, we're a little different than other States with, with flavor bans being, I, I think we're the only flavor band state that has that kind of amendment there or, or, addition where flavors could come back if they do
2: receive PMTA approval. I, I believe we're the only state that has enacted that law, but I've seen that. Like, I was actually going through um, some legislation uh, yesterday, actually trying to find some stuff about synthetic nicotine. Um, and I, I noticed, I, I, I want to say Illinois may be looking at something. It's a There's a Midwestern state that is looking at uh, a bill uh, that has that exemption in there. So if you get PMTA authorization, it doesn't entirely defer to FDA. Remember the process with FDA is when you sub- once your application is submitted or is accepted for substantive review, you have a year to keep it on the market while FDA, you know reviews your your application and, and they can make a determination anywhere in that period as to whether or not you get to, to keep that provisional authorization. Um, But uh, what states are looking at is once you've gone all the way through the process and you've gotten market authorization, then you can bring it back into that state. Uh, And that's that's what's happening in New York, um, at least for the time being. Uh, And uh, certainly other states uh, that that is like. (laughs) It's not the most appropriate way to do it, but uh, it's better than a total ban.
1: Yeah,
2: I agree. Yeah.
1: So we have one question um, Ian brought up. He said, my fear is that the ruling is totally subjective. How can it be proved that flavors aren't?
2: So. Child appealing? Um,
1: and it might have to prove the flavors not. Oh, my, frozen again?
2: You um, did. Take your back.
1: <laughs> so, okay. My my feeling on that is that it doesn't necessarily have to prove that they aren't child appealing. They just have to prove that they're not overall, that that child appealing flavor isn't bad for public health, you know? And, and that's part of the problem that, that we have is that the, the F nobody's actually shown how these flavors are bad for public health, only that kids supposedly like them. And then, okay. So kids like them, how's that bad for public health? Well, addiction. Okay. Well, how's that bad for public health? Well, brain damage. Well, that's rats. How's that bad for public health? You know, they haven't really proved it. So it's not necessarily meaning that they have to prove that the kids won't like the flavor. It has to do with whether or not it's gonna be good or bad for public health. At least that's what my reading on it, Alex. <laughs>
2: yeah, well, no, I, I mean, this actually, we're, we're about ready to move into the take territory. So um, that that's the end of the legislative rundown. I think we could probably get right into the other thing. Do you, do you just wanna jump right into it then? Yeah,
0: go for it. All right, let's, let's jump right into it. All right, take three time. <laughs> All right. Yeah, we were definitely veering right into take three. <clears throat> Excuse me. good segue. It was a good segue. Excellent segue. Um, I, the only thing we haven't we haven't hashed out this week is who's going first.
2: Well, considering that that Kristen gave me the layup there, I, I think uh, I can move right into mine. Unless either of you would like to take the take the ball. The floor is yours, sir. Okay. okay. Cool. Um, so I, I my take is actually on our kind of take and I, I had this queued up before I, I started scrolling around um, it's it's my take is on our take on a study that was released um, or published recently about the oxidative stress uh, in uh, for for people who are vaping and so for this study, as far as I remember my my brief reading of it, because this is one of those things where you know I start reading it and then they get I get to a certain point and they say something I'm just like okay this is garbage, um, but what they did was they took uh, I believe people who don't smoke or vape and kind of made them do a 30 minute vaping session and then they compared uh, the you know their their findings on on their lungs and and airway to uh, people who just sucked on a straw for 30 minutes and they found this you know Huge difference in oxidative stress, uh, and and sort of the conclusion is that it's it's just an unacceptable amount of harm for people who don't smoke or don't vape, and you know I, this is again this is this is part and parcel of what we've been seeing this whole time where uh, we are or the the people researching this, the people who are getting funding for the research, the regulatory agency making a determination about product authorizations are holding vapor products to this unreasonable standard of 100% safe. Uh, And this is not, not only is this, I mean, this is just not the appropriate way to think about these products. They are intended as an alternative to smoking. Most of the people who use these products are people who were smoking. Uh, or, or are in the process of, of hopefully transitioning away from combustion. Uh, so I, I've included the, the dual users in there as well. Uh, and uh, so it, that's really the comparison. There's, all of these studies should be done in comparison with what are the harms of smoking. Um, and I, I, I'm, I'm kind of doing a double whammy here. It's not just you know this article that I'm talking about, but as we've mentioned before on this podcast, uh, Ethan Ethan Nadelman, former uh, executive director, founder of the Drug Policy Alliance, uh, has a new podcast out called Psychoactive. In uh, his most recent episode, he interviewed Dr. Nora Volkow from uh, the National Institutes of Drug Abuse, um, and it's a it's a it's a very interesting interview. I highly recommend people check it out. Um, I think it is uh, it's a, a, a rare uh, engagement with with Dr. Volkow. Um, and, and, of course, Ethan Nadelman has asked her some very important and tough questions. Uh, and, of course, he also, I, I think, expresses some frustration with her answers, um, as, as most most people will probably uh, also experience. Um, but one of the things that she talked about, and, and I think I, I'm getting confused. I, I tried to re-listen to this so I had the quotes correct. But um, one of the questions that Ethan asked and, and Dr. Volkow talked about was, uh, this difference between drug approvals and approvals for products like tobacco or, or nicotine. And um, in, in the drug approval world, the bar that uh, you know, medications have to meet is sort of a percentage of you know, reduction of symptoms or reduction of pain. Uh, how effective is it at reducing someone's pain? And you know, you can't really take away the pain, there's some sort of underlying condition, be it surgery, injury, or or what have you, uh, that until that is resolved, which in many people's cases may never be resolved, um, people are going to have to manage their pain. And so pain medications, or even cold medicine, cold medicine isn't going to keep you from getting sick, but it can reduce the symptoms that you experience, it can get you well enough that you can get back to work, hopefully not in person. You don't want to spread the virus around. But if you can work from home nowadays, you can feel well enough to get up to your desk and do your job. If you you know take your day call or night call or whatever, um, so it's not you know other medications, other products are not held to this standard of 100 percent safety. Um, but in the example of nicotine, and as we talk about drug policy reform we are unfortunately probably going to be talking about FDA regulating things like cocaine and heroin and psilocybin. Um, if that's you know if, if that's what people are asking for, you might just get it. And if is any indication that we can, if, if the way that nicotine is being regulated is any indication of how other drugs will be regulated, we might all regret this choice. Um, I could be wrong,
0: but I think FDA already has something in the works for a cocaine nasal spray. Cool.
2: Um, <laughs> um, I think it's great, but <laughs> we can move along. <laughs> but yeah, so uh, you know, any anyway, uh, I, I just thought that these two kind of <clears throat> stories, uh, there's a lot of crossover here in our take on this, you know, research on ox- oxidative stress and the conversation that Ethan Nadelman has had with, is had with Dr. Volkow, um, and uh, I, I just. I think that's, you know, it, it also sort of answers, I think, some people's questions in this conversation that we were having about flavors and what's the bar, what is the appropriate for public health standard? And, you know, it's it's kind of, it's not defined. There is no <clears throat> succinct way to define appropriate for the protection of public health. People have, a lot of ink, I think, has been spilled on people trying to, to think this through. Uh, and ultimately, it's kind of it's, it, I don't think it's that much different from what I was just talking about with, you know, cold medicine and pain medication. It's, you know, does the, do the benefits outweigh the harms? And when we start talking about the harm, we kind of have to define like, what's, what's an acceptable level here of, of youth use. And I, I was at, at Fidley a few years ago when Mitch Zeller pounded his fist on the table and said, y'all gonna have to come together and figure this out because kids are using these products what's the number is there a number of kids we're willing to accept using these products Um, and right now the number for nicotine and tobacco is zero that's not realistic we we have never lived in that world i mean maybe like pre-1600s before uh tobacco made its way to you know the western world um, but even before then, you know, you have uh, indigenous people or, were using tobacco of all ages at using, some point. So using tobacco ceremonially, using it yeah. as medicine, whatever. I'm sure kids were using back then. Um, I say back then, like it was just a few, we're not talking about <laughs> hundreds of years ago. Um, but, you know, so we have never really lived in that world. Uh, we're never going to live in that world. So zero is not a correct answer. I, I'll just you know, people give us hard, a hard time for opposing taxes. If if you're going to tell me that zero tax isn't an acceptable number, then I think it's only fair for us to respond with, well, 100% safety, zero youth used, is also not an acceptable answer. It's just not realistic. Um, so, anyway, I think that is my take on things. <laughs> but my other take is really go listen to this podcast with with Dr. Nora Valkow and Ethan Nadelman. It is it is it is a really good conversation. Uh, and I think it, it may um, shed some light on some of the challenges that people in these institutions and regulators are facing. This is, this is all incredibly difficult, incredibly nuanced, and complex. And I think we have a tendency to sort of reduce this down to like, you know, things. I, I'm guilty of this all the time. Like I just said, we've never lived in a world where substance use wasn't around. We're never going to live in a world where substance use isn't around. To me, that logic makes sense. That should be driving the conversation of we can't keep promoting prohibitionist policies. We can't keep we can't keep drugs out of walled fortresses or prisons. What makes you think you're going to keep it out of a high school where, you know, actually kids have better access to these things than we do? This is something that Ethan pointed out on the podcast. Um, So anyway, that's that's an oversimplification of the issue. And I know that a lot of us sort of get it. Um, but uh, it's, it's going to take a lot of time, I think, for, for these institutions. They need to start funding the research, not just yeah. into, you know, appropriately comparing smoking to vaping, but what are the consequences of the policies that are being enacted now, uh, and, and, and whether or not, you know, a flavor ban is appropriate for the protection of public health. Yeah. So, there you go. That's, that's my take. Um, and
1: there's I've, two, oh, wait, go ahead.
2: No. Kristen
1: oh okay well there's just two things one thing that Ian Thomas brought up with the FDA chance and nitrosamines is the first thing that they came out and said was no we're not going to take it off the market because it has cancer causing chemicals we're going to leave it on the market because the benefits of this product outweigh the risk from this these lows to vaping it's like oh my god it's got cancer causing drugs did I just freeze again yeah (laughs) did you catch all that or did I freeze how much did you miss Um, most of it. Oh, (laughs) Ah, I apologize for my internet. I don't know why it's doing this, but I was just saying that, that, that it's okay. You know, when it comes to the Chantix and nitrosamines that the benefits outweigh the risks. So of of the drug, so then it's okay. But when it comes to vapor products, any trace bit of nitrosamines means it's not a safe product,
2: but that's, you know i mean that's the thing that's that that's the 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 double standard if you will that that ethan brought up it you know chantix is a, a therapeutic drug or device nicotine gum therapeutic drug or device and so their uh, the standard is different if they can show a certain percentage of reduction i mean you know we know that that nicotine replacement therapy is has pretty dismal success rates and and that's why you know the the advice is is to you don't take any one of these therapies and use it alone it's good with counseling and other types of behavioral support but they're willing to promote these products as an effective way to quit smoking even though we're only talking about like what 7% of people quitting mm-hmm. and that's only one that's only after one year the the actual success rates are lower after 12 yeah, months once you move after, into like 3 yeah. 5 years plus uh, so you know uh, those those levels are acceptable, but, you know, 20% or, tw- you know, people being twice as likely to quit smoking by switching to vaping with counseling, that's somehow not enough to convince people. It's, it's a double standard for sure. Yeah. And then
1: Absolutely. they just keep coming out and talking about how they're supposed to prove that the, the products, that the flavors aren't posing a risk, you know, that, 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 for sure, proven risk to kids. Yet they've st- have yet to show what that risk to kids is. They just haven't shown. I mean, the FDA. Um, Mitch Deller came out and said something to that effect. Gottlieb came out and said, uh, I think it was the Lung Association said something to that effect of, "Oh, it's good because they pose a risk to kids." And it's like, what risk? You still haven't proven any risk. You've pro- you've you've thrown out a bunch of theories of what you think might happen. Maybe gateway, maybe brain damage, which is from one rat study, but they just have not given. So the, basically, these companies have to prove that their product won't do something, won't cause a risk that hasn't been proven. You know, it, It's right. like saying, you know, prove aliens don't exist.
2: You, yeah, we you have, have proven, to prove a negative.
1: Or prove, prove aliens haven't visited New York. Well, you gotta prove aliens even exist first, you know. It's like, well, we know they do, but they haven't come to the planet yet. I don't think, but you know what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, yeah, it's it's a tough thing to be in. But I agree with you. I think that people, I think that some of the bigger companies might get flavors in there because that was another thing that that one guy came out with and said something to the effect of, um, "Oh, the FDA just denied all these products because they pose a risk to children." No, that's not what nope. it said, <laughs> and I said that on my tweet back to them. I like, it's not what it said. It said they didn't have the doc, they didn't document to disprove it. That's a whole. That's that's a whole different thing, you know. So they're they're misrepresenting this up the wazoo. They really are. So
2: yeah. And and I'm I, I'm we're veering off course here, but um I, I do I I you've just uh, inspired another answer to a question that uh, you didn't ask, but <laughs> um a- yeah. You know, One of the things that that, that struck me early on-
1: It's on people's minds, so I think-
2: Yeah, yeah, especially now. Um, So uh, one of the things, I I had a conversation with a a, a rather large e-liquid manufacturer many years ago, um, and uh, one of the things that he noted was, you know, when when the deeming rule dropped and it was finalized, which was uh, January, February, March, I gotta count the months on my fingers, May 5th, 2016, The deadline was August 8th, 2018. So the FDA gave the industry two years to come up with these randomized control trials, longitudinal studies. For some of these longitudinal studies in particular, I believe some of these studies take at least three years to complete. So from the gate, the industry didn't have enough time to provide the information that FDA was asking for. Fast forward to you know, recent history where, you know, I think it was a good thing that FDA pushed back the deadline. That's what we've been asking for as consumers and and the industry was asking for as well. Uh, Everybody needed more time to gather the data and get the things that they needed to make a a complete PMTA. Um, But even then, the industry was waiting on FDA for final guidance about their applications. And so, and and I think Gregory Conley has done a good job. Other people have done a really good job of explaining why this is such a big issue is it you're, these, this research costs a lot of money. I mean, it can cost a million dollars to do an RCT on, on one, one flavor of e-liquid. I don't know if you can bundle that into like a flavor category or something else, but it's a lot of money. And we're talking about small businesses here. These are small to medium sized businesses, like 50 employees or less, uh, I don't know what the number is officially, but right. you're not multi-billion dollar multinationals. I mean, this is, you know, that's a lot of money to to gamble. You're basically gambling with these ap- applications. Um, and so for companies to try to preemptively start doing research that they think the FDA might accept, right. that's not very wise for them. It's not a wise use of their capital. So it was in their best interest to wait for that guidance to come out. What should a PMTA look like? What is the FDA going to prioritize in terms of, of data and evidence? And that didn't happen until I want to say it was 2018 or 2019. Um, I think final guidance was later in that, wasn't it? I, probably. I don't know. I've referred to it as a style guide, but it's, you know, this is basically sort of, you know, a bullet point outline of what FDA wants to see in a completed application. And by the time they got that, it's still you're putting a lot of pressure on a lot of companies, and for you know just going through the HPHC testing—that's the, the harmful, the, the harmful and potentially harmful constituents yeah. testing. There was a, it, it was a huge bottleneck. You know, there's only so many labs in the world that can do this work, and you know there's a supply and demand thing coming on here too. So as more and more companies are submitting their 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 products for testing. The price is starting to go up too because of the scarcity of the resource. So um, it, it's 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 a huge mess, and it's not. I don't think anybody can say that the 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 industry has had a, a fair shake at this. Uh, I mean, Gottlieb.
1: The, Gottlieb. said that. Oh, they you know, have not
2: You know, I'm I don't I don't have his Did credentials or tweet? his experience, but you know, little old me, I I can figure out when somebody's.
1: Scott Gottlieb really put proud. a tweet out saying, "Well, they were given plenty of time. I told them they should get together and do." Yeah, that. I think
0: like, we should all stop what? listening to Scott Gottlieb at this right? point.
1: Right? No kidding.
0: That's just my hot take on old Scotty boy. <laughs> <clears throat> he can go sit on his board or wherever he is now with with Pfizer,
1: But you know what? It's-
0: just uh, every time, every time oh, we we sorry. get a quote anymore from okay. Scott Gottlieb in the world of vaping, I immediately I'm just like. I'm just like, this This is irrelevant. Like, just stop <laughs> listening to Scotty on this.
1: Yeah. <sighs> but, I mean, the, and the thing is, is that we've had a real world for the past three years. You just have to go pull up the CDC stuff, show how many kids are vaping, then show how many kids are smoking after that, and say, no link. We have all these flavors, and clearly they are starting to smoke. So you, yeah. you FDA, show us where the danger is, where the risk is, you know, because they don't want liability
0: is, is not the same as, as real world evidence.
1: Right. And they don't want to admit that about the common liability. They don't want to admit that most of these kids who are vaping would otherwise be smoking. If vapor products weren't available because kids still start smoking. They haven't stopped all the kids from starting to smoking. They can start worrying about vaping when kids stop smoking, you know, but that's not how they look at it. So, um, There's been millions. Yes. When they originally, what did they say, Alex? I thought like 80 to 200 applications back in 2014 that they were expecting.
0: Oh yeah. Like a very, it was like under 50 originally. And
1: now it's like 600 and some odd million.
2: No, no, no. When they published their, whatever, uh, cost, it's not cost benefit analysis, but whatever analysis they had to do, FDA estimated four to five applications in the first year.
0: And they ended up with now that number has gone significantly down, but at peak I believe it was like six point five million
2: uh, yeah. PMTA submissions well, products products. It's I think it's products, north yeah. north north of five hundred applications from more than two hundred companies, uh, which is it, it includes six point five million individual products, um, which that number has now been whittled down to. Two million. I think it's. I think we might be under two million at
0: this point. You say there was the big drop of like four point five million uh, from that one company, and then right. there's been some other things since. But yeah, okay. Well, are you ready to move swiftly along? Kick it. I think some of some of because we we're still on Alex's take here. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, <laughs> I. I had think. <laughs> I think some of that is kind of a a decent enough segue into my take this week. So if you don't mind, I'm going to hop right into this. Uh, This is in our blog as well for people who would like to follow along. Come on, Safari.
1: And this will all be uh, in the description. I'll have links for everybody in the description later. I usually do them on Monday.
0: Will the drug liberation movement make room for nicotine? Uh, my answer is God, I hope so, to that question. But uh, this is an article uh, published on August 18th from Alex Norsha in Filter. This is a fantastic publication uh, on harm reduction drugs. Um, for anybody now reading Filter, I highly recommend it. But uh, excellent question. Uh, Alex sat down with Matthew Johnson of, uh, let's see, John Hopkins Center for Psychedelic Consciousness and Research, uh, where he serves as the associate director. Uh, Alex asks a lot of really great questions about uh, policy and harm reduction and kind of us moving. I'm not going to read through this article, um, but we are very much in a, a... uh, drug liberation kind of movement right now. And where does nicotine have its place in that movement? Um, and Johnson goes on to talk about, uh, criminal justice and then shifting away from the criminal justice system, which is a big part of the drug liberation movement that we're in. Uh, and to say, you know, he talks about siloing, which I think is really important. Alex and I kind of discussed this a little bit before the show. And Alex is probably going to help me a little bit with this take and wording because often he is much better at it than I am. And some of the points that I would like to just kind of put out there. Um, But uh, Matthew Johnson goes on to say, I suppose with nicotine, it's about siloing. Uh, Now that's the catchy term. Many tobacco researchers, I think, are not seeing nicotine as a drug. And if you ask them if it is, of course, they will say that more broadly and sociologically. I suspect they're not viewing it through the same lens as the history of alcohol prohibition in the United States. So nicotine uh, and, and smoking in particular, I think, has always been kind of viewed through this different lens uh, because it's been legal. Right. So when we talk about the drug liberation movement, moving people away from the social justice or the criminal justice system, um, the impacts that it's had on our society—over two million people sitting in prison right now on on drug charges, uh, the the forty-five billion dollars a year that we spend fighting the war on drugs, things like this—the racial disparities that have come out of the drug war—there's um, definitely a, a a difference there, but. I've really tried to make it a point within, I guess, my time in tobacco harm reduction and in all of this to to try to bring these two groups into into the same group. Right? It's all about harm reduction, but if you if you really pay attention, it's it's very siloed. You have drug harm reduction is over here, and tobacco harm reduction is over here, and I think there's a lot of there's a lot of reasons. I guess they're they're poor reasons, but there's reasons why. I think one of that is urgency. When we look at the overdose crisis that we're in right now, we're talking about people dying very young. We're talking about teenagers. We're talking about young adults, people that you're talking to yesterday, gone today. and I think that's one of the big things. It's a very immediate thing where when we talk about Uh, tobacco, and we talk about smoking, uh, and smoking deaths, we're not only we're talking about a a massive number, but we're talking about diseases that come forward over decades, you know, or instead of talking about the urgency of somebody potentially dying from an overdose right now. And I think that's one of the disconnects that people have between the two these two groups in harm reduction. But we're still talking about harm reduction, right? Like that should be the biggest focus. And if we're looking at it solely from a numbers game, smoking dwarfs all drug overdose deaths year after year after year after year. And I think these disconnects have kind of led us to where we are. Now, there's a lot of really great harm reductionists out there who are very open to embracing safer nicotine products, vaping, snooze, things like this, because they just see it as harm reduction. Thank you for those who just see it as harm reduction. You are my heroes. Um, but there, there's definitely a disconnect. And I think that we we do need to move away from that. And one of the things that I notice personally is the industry, right? Like there's this, this discontent for incumbent tobacco companies moving into the, the safer nicotine space, the distrust for tobacco companies, and, and people shouting, like, you know, yeah, but we're just feeding that industry, the same industry that's killing people, the same industry, this, that, and the other thing. And one of the things I always look at is Narcan. We we should, ab- obviously, we should definitely embrace Narcan. I think everybody should carry Narcan. I carry Narcan with me every day, everywhere that I go. I carry two doses of it. And for people that don't know what Narcan or Naloxone is, it's an opioid overdose re- reversal drug. Um, for people who followed uh, Surgeon General Jerome Adams, he was a huge proponent of, of Naloxone and Narcan, talked about it regularly. Thank you. That's one of the few things I thank him for. But... Folks who are out there promoting a pharmaceutical product that saves lives and then discounting vapor products because they come from an incumbent tobacco company, I think there's a sense of, I don't want to call it hypocrisy there, but it feels like hypocrisy. That's what it feels like. And it's one of those things where Alex and I kind of talked about this before, and and Alex has much better words for this than I do. But it's, it's one of those things where like, what is more important? You know, is it is it where the product or, or the drug comes from or is it the lives that it's going to save? And that's one of the things I feel like is really important in this discussion where we talk about tobacco harm reduction and drug harm reduction and this movement coming together. You know, nicotine at the end of the day is still a drug uh, and the delivery and the, the supply, the safety of that and the policies around it are often far more important than the drug itself thoughts? Alex, you, you had some really great words about this earlier. I'm, yes. I'm
2: leaning on you here, man. <laughs> well, I've, I've, I've actually been on sort of both sides of this. So before you, you came on board at CASA, um, I had actually had this conversation with at least one other person in CASA um, before it sort of worked its way into our normal discourse here. Um, but it was, uh, you know, from my experience with recovery from substance use disorder, Um, or I would also identify myself as a recovering alcoholic and addict. Um, uh, I started noticing the parallels between uh, vaping and what I was seeing in vape shops and people having conversations about quitting smoking and supporting one another. And to me, very early on, the experiences I had in in vape shops uh, was, you know, I, I felt like I was becoming part of this informal, organic support network and um so that that was very powerful to me to see those parallels between what i had experienced in treatment and what i was experiencing in you know a business with a lounge and and people coming together you know dealing with a substance use issue um and so uh it was I, i think my early approach to this was i was coming to you know my friends in this tobacco harm reduction organization and saying hey a lot of the language that is being used in support of uh, you know, drug policy reform, legalizing cannabis and all the other conversations about drugs uh, is, is getting a lot of attention. And uh, we kind of need to work, do what we can to sort of hitch our wagon to that, that debate that's happening because we're not, we're not any different. Uh, this is, you know, nicotine is a drug and uh we need we need to be you know in league with people who are changing drug policy uh and i I was met with resistance of course because uh drug use is pretty thoroughly stigmatized whether you're uh whether you don't use drugs or whether you've been through recovery or you're currently using drugs you know um that uh that, that that the stigma is very real um and uh so yeah that was that was sort of the early response from from my friends in tobacco harm reduction it was like, oh, well, we don't wanna be associated with, with 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 drugs. That's that's a bad look. Um, but as time has gone on, uh, I think more and more people are starting to, to see those parallels. Uh, and of course, thankfully, I, I think, thanks to the work of, of people at Drug Policy Alliance and, and other uh, drug harm reduction act- activists, um, we are now all, I, I hope all of us are moving in a direction where we are not making this distinction between good drugs and bad drugs. And typically, you know, uh, the average person on the street could pick out what the good drugs were from the bad drugs. The good drugs are legal, uh, alcohol, tobacco, caffeine. Uh, those are all, you know, accessible and legal. So they must be good. Um, they don't, they don't have, well, alcohol, <laughs> that's a pretty significant impact on people. Um, but uh so yeah, it was you know whatever the state had sort of approved that has gone down in people's minds as that's the acceptable drug, um, but uh, yeah we we can't I'm going to throw the word silo. If you prefer silos or buckets, it doesn't matter. Um, we do have that tendency to silo off the good drugs from the bad drugs, and um, uh, and that I think is is holding us back from having it's it's holding us back from having a a, a critical and constructive conversation about policies on all drugs Uh, and uh the other thing that i I bring up is you know when we're talking about hypocrisy among the anti-tobacco people uh you know frequently the uh uh the claim is that nicotine is the most addictive substance on the planet it's more addictive than heroin um, which i believe that claim is based on i don't know if it's fmri studies Uh, the functional MRI, or if it was interviews, was it interviews that were done? Interviews. It's a misquote, even. It it
1: essentially came down to, from what I found in my research of trying to find out where that came from, it was they interviewed people who were in um, rehab, and they said, well, it's harder for me to quit smoking than it was to quit heroin. And that's pretty much how it's based on. You know, right. yeah. so there's not, no studies that actually show that, like clinical, because they can't because of ethics. So there, there, there's just nothing. It's it was all based on oh, just based on what these people say. It's hard to see. It's harder to quit.
2: Right. Yeah. So I and I, I have other takes on that and and some some more nuance to throw into that, which I'll 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 skip for now. But um, <laughs> uh, you know, I think you know it, the same people that are saying things like. Uh, nicotine is the most addictive substance on the planet will also turn around and say things like, well, why don't you just quit smoking? Or right. here are some, here are some mediocre quit aids. That Here's should some be sufficient for you. Yeah, And, and this You're idea. breathing, chew
1: a toothpick.
2: <laughs> yeah, go for a walk, um, you know, ch- ch- chomp on some celery. Um, that's, that should be enough for you. Um, this idea that we should settle for these types of, of treatments and interventions um, to me, I think, ultimately, it, you know, first of all, that comparison of, of nicotine to heroin, I think, dilutes the conversation for people who are struggling with substance use disorder. Um, and uh, I, I think it, it, it generally sends a, a really bad understanding of substance use and addiction. Uh, and ultimately, people who, who need help, people who want help, um, are underserved. Um, so, you know, there are there are some
0: pharmacological properties to drugs that may increase the likelihood of someone becoming dependent or, or, you know, actually addicted to a substance. But there's so much more nuance and complexity. Yeah, to yes, absolutely to addiction. And it's, 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 it's individual, it's personal, you know, there's, I, I, when you think about why someone uses a drug and the drugs that they may become dependent on or addicted to those reasons change from person to person. Um, you know, the, the substance changes from person to person. And it's really, it's, it's just so disingenuous to be like, this drug is more addictive than this drug to who, you know, that's, that's, for me, it was amphetamines. Amphetamines were were the substance that I became very dependent on very quickly But they were also the drug that I found the most benefit from. When I was in a hospital with broken bones and they gave me opioids, I had no interest in in opioids. They, sure, they helped my pain, whatever, but I, I had no inclination to continue taking them. I didn't derive pleasure from them in any way, et cetera, et cetera. So when we talk about like, you know, heroin is more addictive than this, or nicotine is the most addictive substance on the planet, like it's, there's so much more to that conversation than just that. And it's so disingenuous to, to people, to society, to public health, you know, people who use drugs. Like it's just, it doesn't benefit the conversation. It doesn't benefit people at all. I
2: think, and I, um, oh. I, some, something that you just, just reminded me of, sorry, I, I, I want to get it out before I forget it, um, was, you know, when we see where all this research money is going to, um, and, and this is something, I, I, I don't want to put words in anybody's mouth, but as I mentioned, the, the Ethan Nadelman podcast, Nora Volkow may have sort of touched on this a bit, um, but my take on this is, you know, we have poured so much money into trying to investigate and confirm this whole most addictive substance thing that, you know, I, I think when we look back on this period in time, people will be able to say that money would have been better spent in investigating alternatives, investigating ways that people can use these products uh, in, a, in a safer way, investigating uh, ways to properly regulate these products so we have safe supplies, so we have regulated marketplaces, and things like that would that may deter or prevent young people from using these drugs. And if they do use the drugs, the outcome is not likely to be you know death or injury. So anyway, just wanted to put that out there. Kristen?
1: Hopefully I won't buffer or whatever, but um, And and actually, Skip down here talking about amphetamines and ADHD. I I think that's part of, and I was going to talk about that because we did have an article that's really good on that, if you look at our blog, and there's a really good video on that about nicotine and ADHD, But, and that was what I was going to bring up, is that I think part of the problem is it's just common sense that people only smoke because of the nicotine. There's no benefit to it. They're not getting any benefit other than feeding the addiction. Did you get all that or did i just freeze oh we got you <laughs> oh good um and, and that's and that's part of the problem every other drug they can see where the benefit comes from even people getting drunk you know it's escapism it does something and they refuse to acknowledge that nicotine does something for people you know I just had this argument with somebody else again the other day it's like it's like well they're just you know it's not doing anything there's no benefit and it's like they're self-medicating, like Skip just said with the amphetamines. Nicotine is both a stimulant and an antidepressant. You know, so it's it, it does different things for different people. You know, it could be stress relief, it could be ADHD, and the fact that so many people with ADHD smoke and use nicotine.
0: I mean, look at schizophrenia alone. Like ninety percent of people with schizophrenia smoke.
1: Yeah, and, and but they refuse. But but, but there's this there's disconnect. From every other drug, including heroin, alcohol, everything, those all have a benefit that they can clearly see. But it's always this myth has always been put out that you only smoke because, you know, you're addicted to nicotine. They never addressed it. Well, why did I get addicted to nicotine? It's not like the first cigarette addicted me. Why did I go back? We've had this conversation in the past, too, so I don't want to repeat it. But read that article about the ADHD and watch that video at the bottom. And they talk about how it's because the article. Article is ironically says, you know, she um, use nicotine. It's like, well, they because they think it's fun and peer pressure. And then if you scroll down and watch the video, it's like they're self medicating. It's a lady who wrote this article. Did you not watch the video you shared? (laughs) You know, it's like it's not fun and peer pressure because just eat and basically the article also goes into just say no. You know, teach your kids to just say no. It's like just this disconnect that there's no benefit from nicotine i think is a huge problem in in that whole thing that nicotine's just addictive that's all it is and it makes people smoke so it's bad you know
2: yeah <laughs> so going so back I, to this i hope i gave you some some good words there logan i don't absolutely. know absolutely you
0: always okay. do both of you as well um but going back to this you know this uh this filter article uh there are a few things i'd like to leave people with here Um, he goes on to say, um, if they can earn more money without the bullshit of people, uh, getting on their case about killing, he's talking about Tyson, uh, and growing, uh, growing meat as opposed to killing animals. Um, if they can earn more money without the bullshit of people getting on their case about killing animals and actually make more of a profit because it's harder to raise animals and so forth, that's a good thing. I think the same thing with tobacco companies, if they're increasing market share in e-cigarettes, that's a good thing. Uh, We can't be simple minded and think that literally anything they do is bad in the end. Uh, And I agree with that. Um, He raises a good question here, right? Uh, The question here is if e-cigarettes can serve as substitutes for cigarettes and there's data that shows a good number of people treat them as so, are they safer? And if that, and the answer is much safer, the comparator is a product that kills half a million people a year in the U S and millions worldwide that swamps all other drug deaths. And I think that's a really important part for uh, people kind of stuck in those silos to remember, like, yes, there's definitely a sense of urgency, uh, very much. So when we're talking about individuals when we're talking about the overdose crisis. Uh, but when we talk about mass death, right, we're talking about numbers. Um, it, it does it swamps all of the drug deaths. Uh, and that's not to minimize the overdose uh, crisis right now in any way. I think it's just a matter of perspective. And I think people could use that perspective as well. Um and I think, uh, the last note here is really good. Uh, all else being equal, would you, he's talking, referring to kids, uh, dealing with kids is the hardest thing politically because no one wants the kids to do any of this. And I agree. Uh, but all else being equal, would you rather them get hooked on a product that is no question killing half a million Americans a year or one that's at least an order of magnitude less. And that's the relevant question. And that kind of ties into what you were talking about earlier, Alex, as well. So, Really good article. Uh, I would just encourage people um, to really try to take a step back and look at it all through uh, just a harm reduction lens in general. That's what I try to do quite often with with all substances, uh, and I try to just put people first and compassion first, uh, and where that falls is where that falls, whether that's something that comes from a big pharmaceutical company that is a critical tool uh, in the overdose crisis that we're in right now, or whether that is a vapor product that comes from an incumbent tobacco company, uh, is it necessarily where it comes from, or is it the potential and you know um, the actuality of that product saving lives right now? I think, I think that's what people have to ask themselves. You know, is it what's more important, where the product comes from, or the lives that are being saved?
1: And that's another. I thought another positive thing that came out of that article was we've discovered somebody else who believes in this is you know because Doctor John, Johnson was his uh, name? yes Matthew, Matthew
0: Johnson from Johnson. John Hopkins John
1: Hopkins I mean that's good news that's that's awesome that's kind of about what we're going to be talking about in a little bit as far as the uh, the deep dive. Um, well, I
0: didn't. Maybe I didn't do the best job with that.
1: No, thing, no, that's which great. is why
0: I asked for a little bit of help there, but. <laughs> That's my take, is I would just encourage people to try to stay more focused on viewing things through that that harm reduction lens and not necessarily holding you know industries to to their past or their mistakes or what it may be, but what they can do now and and what's relevant to the conversation today and to people's lives today.
2: I, I would add, I think generally, you know if there's a, a sort of a note on on life here, Um, you know, this, this doesn't just apply to drugs and, and, uh, it's, uh, I think anytime we see any kind of punishment based intervention, um, I I think it's instructive and helpful to ask, um, you know, is there, is there a softer, gentler way that involves reducing risk here? Um, you know, certainly there are some things where that's just not going to apply, but, you know, I would, I would expand that harm reduction lens outside of, um, just drugs. So.
0: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely.
1: Okay. So guess it's me then, huh? It's I'm going to try, try and make this quick only because we're already at an hour. Um, I just had a thing that I just wanted to talk real touch base real quick on this Gallup poll that happened. And it was really interesting because they didn't really, um, It was just interesting because they they focused on it from, and hopefully I won't freeze too much. Um, They talked about smoking and vaping remain steady and low in the U.S. And that was pretty much their article. And they talked about how these numbers um, aren't much different from smoking and Smoke e-cigarettes. I love how they did that uh, from last year, and or weren't significant. Um, they said, uh, "Where did it go?"
0: The only people smoking e-cigarettes are researchers that burn coils to My measure head. formaldehyde <laughs> levels.
1: You know, it says, "Okay, the 16% of U.S. adults who currently say they smoked any cigarettes in the past week is statistically the same as the 15% record low." Okay, but it's still a full percentage point. That's off and it's going the wrong direction, you know, I mean, hello, <laughs> but, um, what, what I found was interesting and they, and they don't really talk about, you know, they mentioned that and they mention you know, the history of smoking and, um, what's happened over the years, how much they've smoked. And then they get down to the vaping and say it's most popular a lot, uh, among young adults, 18 to 29, smoking is more popular 30 to 64. Young Americans are slightly more likely to say they vape 17% than smoke. Okay. I mean, now that's slight. Okay. So it's significantly, or it's insignificant that 1%, but 3% is slight. I don't know. But it's just It's just, it's very careful language here. But so out of curiosity, I found the link somewhere. I forget where I found it, but I found the link to last year and decided to look at what these numbers meant. Because that's the difference here. But what what were they what were they vaping last year, and what were they smoking last year? What is that little bit? And here in the here you can see and look at they said use e-cigarettes vape last year. They did not use the word smoke, which I found was interesting. I'm not freezing up, am I? Because I can't see my nope. screen. Okay, good. Um, okay, so last so I'll last, give you a heads
0: up if you freeze.
1: Okay, because I can't see my screen right now. Okay. I'm seeing I'm seeing what everybody else is looking at. Right I'll
0: give now. you a frozen alert or something. Oh, you're frozen. No. Okay. Thanks. Yeah, you're frozen. Yeah, um, there you go. So okay, you're good. So last
1: year, 18 to 29 or 2019. 20, okay. Tw- I'm sorry. 2019, um, 18 to 29 was at 19% vape. Okay. And that's now down to 17%. So that's dropped two percentage points. That's significant. So you would think, okay, well, if that was leading to smoking or whatever, um, how does that, how does that related to them smoking? And smoking was 14% this past year, 14% last year. Nothing's changed. So less people are vaping, less people 18, to 29 are vaping, but their actual smoking rates hasn't changed at all. So you're not seeing less smoking either. So that's, that's bad. You want to see smoking going down, you know, and it also kind of indicates that, okay, well, vaping is leading to smoking and vaping's going down. Why is smoking not going down? You know, it's just kind of belies that claim. But then, looking at the 30 to 49 and the 50 to 64, that I had to do it separately. If you look at uh, this year, it was five percent in the 30 to 49 vaped, two percent. This is the,
0: the this is the 20. What year is this one that we're looking at right now?
1: This is this year. Okay. Okay, I I must have frozen because I I couldn't hear what you said. But I'm assuming you asked if what year this yeah, was yeah what year this so yeah. Was. But, 5% and 2%, okay, well, what well, was last year?
0: For 2019.
1: For twenty nine. yeah, I'm sorry, 2019. They don't have 2021 yet, so um, eight and three. So the 30 to 49 was that 8% were vaping and 19% were smoking. That dropped down to 5%, three percentage points, and smoking went up one percentage point. Again, showing that them vaping wasn't causing smoking and, and and when vaping went down, the opposite happened. And then, and then again, for last year for the fifty to sixty four, you went from three percent vaping and eighteen percent smoking to only two percent vaping. and it went up to nineteen percent smoking.
0: I'm curious so, to know how much our uh, messaging towards the youth is causing these these older uh, adults to revert or switch from, the use of vapor products either back over to or over to combustible tobacco that's what i'm curious about
1: i miss part of that you're wondering how much what is causing that because because
0: switch- in both of those groups the over the years the e-cigarette use has dropped and smoking has gone up and i'm curious to see how much of that is a direct result of the messaging from public health organizations that are meant for the youth only to scare them away and how much of that messaging is reaching those adults. And they've decided they're either, you know, going to go back to smoking or, or switch to, you know, combustible cigarettes as opposed to staying with, with the e-cigarettes, or if it's just, uh, you know, kind of one of those flow things where that number, that number that age group has gone up because there are more in that population moving towards whatever. I mean, there's a, there's a number of things that could be going on there, but I'm curious yeah, how much and, of that is a direct result of poor public health messaging.
1: Yeah, well, I, I think a lot of it is, but there's no way to know. And I did want to try to find if, there, if the Gallup had done one in 2018, but from all the thing I could find out was uh, they had done a, their survey in 2018 was more about um, perceptions of harm and stuff like that. Uh, so I haven't, I didn't have time. I did not find in the time I had, I did not find that. But but it's just. Just to just just the fact, and they don't report this. You know, they don't report that. For all these groups, for if you look at the entirety, vaping went down between one and three percentage. No, two and two and three. I think the the lowest one went from no, went from three to two, from eight to five, and also from. Oh, you're froze. Seventeen to fourteen. Around two to three percentage points, vaping went down. What happened with smoking? It either stayed the same or went up. And nobody's curious in this. You know, they statistically the same. You know, they just like played around with that, and it it it, it made me so angry. But it just it shows you how how stuff can be manipulated. It's still the facts. They reported the facts, but they omitted omitted a lot of stuff there that could be significant in. What's going on with the public health messaging? What's going, you know, is is it even helping the teens? Because 18 to 24 is just after high school, you know? So they're not vaping when we know that vaping went down that same period between 2019 and 2020, right? Because did it go down significantly, Alex? Vaping in high school?
2: Between 2019 and 2020, 2020 or between right? 2020 and 2021? Because- um-
1: even from even in twenty, I know for a fact that in twenty twenty it was lower vaping rates than in, but not as low as they'd want it to be. But I just know in so basically across the board from teenagers.
0: I mean, from twenty nineteen to twenty twenty um, through to six because uh, we got the the early right twenty twenty is when we got that like early national youth tobacco survey data. We were right. in the pandemic. We didn't we didn't know whether this you know it came out before. Uh,
2: kind of COVID started. and It it, it went down. It's been been coming down since 2018, I think. 2018 was when it was like 28% of teenagers have used a vapor product once in the past 30 days, once or more. Um, And then by 2020, uh, even with the slightly smaller, the slightly smaller sample size has to be noted, um, but it was still, of course, enough for them to try to generalize it to the the rest of the population, they went down to just under twenty percent. Right. Um, so and there, there, are, there has been a significant drop in use. Yeah. And
1: they were touting that they were they were touting that overall combustible use was down, overall tobacco use was down, vaping was down, but everything was still a little bit too high, so it's still epidemic levels.
0: Right. That's a beautiful and frozen shot right there.
1: <laughs> just a little. Ah,
0: you just looked so excited. You were frozen, but you were so excited about it. Yeah. <laughs>
1: um, but in between 2020, 2019, and 2020, smoking went up in high school, too. So vaping went down and smoking went up in high school, too. So now we're talking all age groups according between Gallup and and the CDC report. Am I frozen or am I still OK? No, you're good. Okay. you're um, OK, that across the board, vaping went down, but smoking went up. I mean, that's huge. And everybody's and talking I, it. Nobody's I, I talking would,
2: about it. Yeah, I would suspect, and, and I, I hope that there are some, some eager researchers out there who want to look into this. I suspect it's, uh, it's likely uh, young people who uh, were vaping to avoid cigarettes, uh, and then they lost a- access to some extent. And as we've been saying all along, cigarettes are still the most visible, most accessible, most popular tobacco product on the market. And so it shouldn't surprise anybody that kids will easily go back to smoking. T
0: twenty one was twenty nineteen,
2: correct? You, uh, I, was it? It was passed in twenty nineteen so. and took effect in twenty twenty, or did it take effect immediately? It was part of the budget package. So I believe it took effect immediately the t21
0: part took effect immediately
2: yeah well with t21 and and other restrictions like that you kind of have to give it a year or two maybe even three to kind of work out and actually find out how effective it's being so hawaii is a good example of that uh hawaii was the first state it's literally a chain of islands uh so you can't make those arguments about hopping over the state line um and uh and hawaii has its it it is a it has it has it has its own sort of cultural considerations as well. Um, And there's uh, a high smoking prevalence among adults there. So it stands to reason that the children of those adults uh, will also smoke at disproportionately higher rates compared to the rest of the population. And of course, um, Hawaii still has um, a higher rate of uh, higher vaping prevalence among young people than the rest of the the country. Um, And so looking at that, um, just that one data point, it isn't enough to really draw the conclusion, but, um, I look at that and I, I, see that, um, you know, raising the age to 21 is certainly not the most effective thing that we can do to prevent young people from, from vaping. And I will always come back to, if you want to save the kids, you're going to have to save the parents. Agreed.
1: Yeah. So that was just my take. I just wanted to point out that this data is out there. Advocates, you should be using this data and pointing it out. Um, it, I think maybe we should add it to our facts page. I don't know because that's to me that's a huge data point between the CDC the, the the youth survey between 19 and 20 and Gallup polls now showing with adults, you know. So and young adults vaping's down too, so that means that these kids aren't continuing to vape. You know, if, if these kids were continuing to vape, then you start to see that 18 to 24 number rising too. But it's not. It's going down. So that tells you that these kids aren't addicted and continuing on afterward either, you know, because they're talking about 17 percent or whatever after high school. That, you know, so that's after high school. So where's this 30 percent, this 38 percent, these huge numbers that is the epidemic because it's not they're not still vaping after high school, clearly, because most of those kids now are, you know, a lot of those kids are 18 and twenty. Yeah.: Year's old. Oh, so yeah. interesting statistic that people should know about. And that's it. That's my take.:
0: That's your take. <laughs> All right. Well.: yes, That
1: was 20 minutes, so we have to hurry.:
0: Yes,'ve there we go. We're officially through the takes. Uh, if we're ready, are we ready? Is everybody ready? I think we're ready right. Alex, I got the thumbs up. All right, here we go. Let's do a little bit.: of- <laughs> Deep dive. There we deep go. Okay, what is our deep dive this week and how deep are we going? <laughs>
2: <laughs> um, we're, we're gonna talk about the, uh, the, the journal article that was published uh, in the American Journal of Public Health authored by 15 former presidents of the Society for Research on Nicotine and Tobacco. Um, and for those who are just hearing about this now, uh, Society for Research on Nicotine and Tobacco, also known as SRNT, uh, I believe could be described as the preeminent professional Tobacco and Nicotine Research Society, Association, organization, what have you. Um, this is a well-known, well-respected group of people. Um, this is a majority of, I believe, the, the uh, 27 or so former presidents um, who uh, penned this article Um, and essentially, uh, I, I think, you know, the, the big note here, the big, uh, you know, the, the direction that, uh, that folks are giving is right in the title, balancing consideration of the risks and benefits of e-cigarettes and the authors, I think, um, go some distance towards trying to put this, what we were talking about earlier, like, what is it there? We have to come up with some sort of acceptable level of youth use and trying to put sort of the current numbers into context and ultimately i think their conclusion here is that there is a net benefit to allowing vapor products to stay on the market and promoting them as a uh a way out of combustion uh and in fact this is uh they they get into i I will try to spare everyone the scrolling uh so forgive me if i don't have all my notes together here but um, one of the policy recommendations they make involves marketing. Uh, and, uh, you know, in the current state of things, uh, and, and there's, there's a necessary, I think, note slash disclosure here, um, but when they were talking about marketing standards is that, uh, you know, they want to do away with the lifestyle marketing and instead restrict vapor companies or any, you know, smoke-free alternative type of product company Uh, to only marketing these products as a product you can switch to. So switch from smoking to vaping. Um, I think it's important to note here that, um, of course, these authors have been active in tobacco control for a long time. um, But this is one of those instances where uh, this this is working to clean up a mess that they've kind of created, or at least people in in their, in their circles. Um, we had this opportunity in the eighties and they squandered it. Um, there was, uh, this is, we've talked about this before, but for those who haven't, you probably heard me talk about this before there was a marketing campaign. Um, I, I, I am, I'm going to screw up the company that makes Skull. Um, it, I, I don't know if it's a Reynolds subsidiary or, um, or Altria. Um, or if it was its own company at that point. Um, I'm sure I've got a tin around here somewhere. I could probably just look on the, look on the, the package. Um, but uh, everybody should remember Skull Bandits. I think they're still for sale. Um, but in the 80s, Skull Bandits were marketed as um, a, sort of a, a less messy way to enjoy dip. Uh, And so it actually caught on with people in the Northeast. Smokeless tobacco is is typically regarded as a a poor southern white male kind of thing. Uh, And uh, but the Skull Bandits were were sort of causing waves because now all of a sudden you've got, you know, uh, Wall Street dudes using Skull Bandits. Uh, And uh, this was seen as a threat uh, to folks in tobacco control. Uh, And the marketing campaign was take a pinch instead of a puff. And this is one of the earlier examples of uh, anti-tobacco folks going after tobacco companies for making a modified risk claim. I still, I I haven't like poured over all of the arguments that were were going on back then. I don't see how this is any different from like drink Coke instead of Pepsi, Um, take a pinch instead of a puff. There is no indication there that this product is safer uh, than smoking. It's simply a matter of use this delivery instead of that delivery. Um, it, it, it no note about risk or harm or any of that. Um, but they made it into a, a, a modified, they, they decided that it was a modified risk claim. Uh, and so uh, this was not, I don't believe it's the earliest sort of anti-smokeless uh, type of stuff. I, I'm sure the, the the research into the the southern women who use dry nasal snuff, and that sort of formed our belief about smokeless tobacco and the harms. Uh, I, I don't know when that was carried out, but I'm sure it predates the 80s. Uh, and I'm, I would assume that that study was used to um, establish the, the known, actually alleged harms of smokeless tobacco use. Um, so again, you know, uh, interesting that these folks would now come out and say, um that the marketing should allow for companies to to encourage people to switch um when in fact tobacco control has has thoroughly maligned this um way of of thinking about the continuum of risk um and and as i said squandered that opportunity back in the 80s with smokeless tobacco um so but but we have to keep, I think, the, the kind of good feels going about this and applaud these 15 authors for um, publishing this. This is, this is something that actually took a long time. Uh, as noted, I think at the kind of the, the bottom or wherever it is in this article, um, this is something that Ken, Kenneth Warner presented at e-cigarette summit uh, in 2021 or 2020, last year or earlier this year. Sorry. I'm still not. The years are all starting to time together still. Um, so it was earlier this year, e-cigarette summit was held virtually and Ken Warner presented this um, as, as a presentation. And then it was later finalized as this um, journal article. Um, and uh, yeah, so uh, just to kind of, I, th- I think think the thing that, that I've been told that we should really focus on here is um, this section here um, concerns about youth vaping in context. Um, so several considerations raise the question of whether for youth as a whole, vaping creates dangerous levels of nicotine exposure that would not have occurred in the absence of vaping. Um, so some some really not maybe not so obvious observations here. Um, large majority of non-tobacco product using young people do not vape uh, and thus have no nicotine exposure. So when they start crying about, you know, 28, 20, 20% or whatever, just remember there's 80% of kids who they've gotten the message. They're, they're either not curious about tobacco or nicotine, or they don't, they don't fall into those, those, uh, risk factors or anything like that. So most kids, they're staying away from this As, yeah, like the vast majority. Yeah. Um, And among those who vape, most are doing so infrequently. This is that experimentation that we've been talking about. Uh, Many are short-term experimenters. Uh, Frequent vaping is most common among current or former smokers, uh, which means that the the young people who are vaping frequently, who you might, some people might call them addicted, um, they were already smoking cigarettes, and they're using vaping as a form of harm reduction. Um, whether or not you believe that harm reduction is something that is appropriate for kids. Um, I guess it doesn't matter because we put kids in bicycle helmets and strap them in with seat belts and booster seats, um, all kinds of harm reduction stuff that we use so that kids can participate in checked, dangerous behaviors. Yeah. Last time I checked,
0: harm reduction was a human right. And regardless of age, uh, teenagers, youth, adolescents are
2: also in fact, human beings, mm-hmm. Yeah, if you're not using harm reduction for your kids, then um, you may be like. Would, would you, you rather have
0: changing. like? Would you rather increase harm for
2: our youth? Like, <laughs> yeah. Would you rather ignore harm altogether? Yeah. Pretend it doesn't exist. That's cool. Um, and finally, the most dangerous form of youth exposure to nicotine, cigarette smoking, has declined at an unprecedented rate during the era of youth vaping. So this isn't just like, you know. Uh, I, I, people love to accuse uh, people who support vaping as being you know, paid shills for the industry, this and that. So if, that's, if that happens to be your, your perspective on all of us who are working on this, um, fine, don't listen to me. Take it from 15 former presidents from SRNT. Um, these are people who are not conflicted, except uh, I do believe, uh, I can't remember if Neil Benowitz, no, he's not a former president. I, I'm going to screw up people's names and attributions here. Um, there are some people I'm sure that have taken um, funding from uh, pharmaceutical companies that might be their only conflict here. Um, uh, but yeah, so here, here's here's an opinion from a bunch of people who aren't financially conflicted uh, saying that vaping uh, may, likely does have an effect on the decline in use the accelerated decline in youth smoking prevalence. Um, so uh, I, I think I've, I've kind of I have briskly gone over this and, and I apologize for not having more detailed notes on it. Um, but ultimately here uh, we have these very credible credentialed people uh, who are calling for a rebalancing of the conversation uh, and, and not so much putting, uh, not putting so much emphasis on young people and this idea that we're going to prevent all use. Um, And I I think it's it it is really important and it's something that we've been saying is, um, you know, I I think we need to focus uh, on all the all all the good that these products can do, uh, not just for adults, but for young people as well. Uh, Nobody, of course, is saying that these products should be marketed to kids. And in fact, that's uh, what they get at here. Um, Yeah. The other kind of side of this coin is that. Um, and, and people, I think, can theorize about why, uh, you know, this group would say these, you know, very important, positive things about vaping and tobacco harm reduction, and then turn around and support things like the very coercive policy of the minimally addictive cigarette. Um, and I'm sure menthol ban is in here as well, um, which I think is much more complicated than saying, do we ban it or we don't? Um, It's, uh, you know, as we noted earlier, um, you know, people have to have somewhere to go. And even in that uh, instance, there are going to be plenty of people who will still seek out uh, menthol cigarettes at full strength uh, from an informal retailer. Um, uh, So yeah, anyway, uh, one of the sort of theories as to why this group is still recommending very coercive and um, uh, potentially harmful policies, uh, is that uh, you know we, we are very much involved in a game of politics and negotiating. And so in order to bring some people, people's support of vaping and people's support of tobacco harm reduction is conditional. And for them, they want to see uh, coercive interventions in place uh, they believe that they have to move people like cattle from bad decisions to good decisions. Um, I, I don't and, and I don't know how that actually um, that's not empowering people to make good decisions. It's not educating people about risk. Um, it is simply treating people like they have no agency, uh, which is something that they claim to be protecting. Um, so anyway,
1: Uh, It it, it really bothered me that they, I mean, I was reading it and like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it's all of a sudden, uh, you know, you can only, you know, let's, let's only sell vapor products in vape shops where only people over 21 can go. It's like, while cigarettes are still being sold on every corner. I mean, that, that doesn't, it's like, how did you make that leap of logic? I mean, I understand that they're trying to balance things, but that's not, that's not helping, you know, that's not that. I it's guess like Australia with the prescription draw you know prescription nicotine it's like you're you're making it harder to get the better thing than it is to get the horrible thing it's like I, at least can, put in there all tobacco should be in a over 21 store. you can
0: really see them tr- attempting this balancing act in uh, their policy suggestions that that one in particular because they're not saying all e-cigarettes should be Sold only in adult vape shops, but they're saying uh, an alternative would be to limit the retail sale of flavored e cigarettes to adult only outlets such as vape shops while still leaving, uh, you know, I guess tobacco. And it's, yeah, I guess. Like, it's one of those things where even I go, like, uh, again, when we talk about people in, you know, rural areas that don't have access to these vape shops, we can acknowledge that, yes, the flavors help significantly more than tobacco flavors, but we're going to leave all those people out of that. Like there's, it's like they're attempting to make that balance, but they're still making concessions that don't really help everyone. And they, they talk about uh, risk proportionate taxes while simultaneously also citing something that we've talked about a number of times. Uh, there's a section here, which isn't very long, which I wish they would have spent a little bit more time on, uh, unintended consequences of policies restricting vaping and they go on to talk about the tax increase uh, in minnesota which we've talked about on this a number of times um, and they talk about two other studies found straight state restrictions on minors access to e-cigarettes associated with higher adolescent cigarette smoking so they're, they're making these acknowledgements about these unintended consequences but then turning around and making policy suggestions that are going to inevitably have similar consequences. So that's where I get a little bit lost. Yeah. It's, it's
2: a, it's a bit all over the map. And and I, I, you know what I mean? Like I I appreciate
0: all of it, but I just, I get a little lost. And when we go from like, okay, you're making all this acknowledgement, but the second we get to the recommendations part of it, it's like we forgot.
1: It's like cognitive distance. Yeah. Like, well, how did you where? How did you make that leap? Uh, did you just forget everything you just? And I wrote? think Alex yeah. is right,
0: though. It's like you're trying to make those concessions to bring people over because a lot of this is conditional. It's like, well, if we're going to embrace this tobacco harm reduction, then we're going to do it, you know, in a way that we, you know, we still have to have our i don't know methods. we still need our our you know <laughs> coercive policies involved like we still have wow. to yeah i don't know it's just it's one of those things
1: and skip makes a good point they're always telling people well if you're gonna vape make sure you get off the vape too but we're gonna only give you closed systems that don't really have as many options
0: right you you we're gonna take away that that larger off, so freedom, freedom to work down at your rate yeah
1: yeah, and a lot of them don't. A lot of those closed systems sold in, in gas stations aren't. Don't go down to zero. They're just the alternatives, you know. Yeah.
2: But yeah. Yeah. One thing I was gonna, uh, you know, dredge up some some past here. Um, you know, a lot of people uh, were were very encouraged when the American Cancer Society uh, updated their position statement on e-cigarettes, um, and I, I just sort of felt generally that most people were were just paying attention to the 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 friendly words in the statement and skipped over all the policy recommendations. Yeah. Uh, they were they still recommending the same thing: banning flavors, high taxes, raising the age to twenty-one, uh, all of all of the things. Uh, and so it it's it sort of wrong-hollow. But uh, again, that was you know these are political considerations. Uh, and and Cliff Douglas, who who has now come out and and and, and been firmly behind vapor products. Um, I, I think he had to do a bit of balancing and in, in, in getting American Cancer Society to publish that position update. Uh, and so, um, it, uh, yeah, it's a balancing act and you got to bring people on board. Um, and, and so it, it slightly moved the needle in the right direction. Um, but at the end of the day, uh, you know, people, when people shop these policies around, they say things like evidence-based and this and that and it's it's kind of you know we're requiring so much more evidence to allow the products on the market and to allow the community to keep doing its work which is helping people quit smoking mm-hmm. but these policies don't have nearly as much research there's not i mean if if i if i needed to cite something from uh 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 you know longitudinal data on prohibition we do have that uh and i would have hoped that we would have learned our lesson from it obviously we didn't we still we're still in the midst of a drug war um don't let anybody anybody nobody should be under the impression that just because cannabis is being legalized in your state that the drug war is over um, far, from. far from it um so yeah I, I i lost my train of thought there but essentially uh you know the the these policy recommendations aren't being backed up by as much data as is being required for the products to come on, stay on the market. Yeah.
1: Right. I mean, and Jim, I'm sorry, real quick, cause I've got Jim uh, saw director Jim McDonald's in the chat and he brought up uh, it's a compromise paper. If they recommended flavors everywhere and no limitations on advertising, it would have had three signatories, not 15. So, I mean, that's a good point.
0: <laughs> yeah. It's just one of those, this is, I mean, not only is it, but it, feels very much like uh, a paper written by people who have spent a long time in tobacco control and focusing solely on data points and not talking to real world consumers people who use these products people who you know have been a part of this community for a long time things like that and that's that's what it feels it feels like oh this is yeah, this is this is from tobacco. Control.
1: They figured it out. That's on their what own.
0: it. You know what I mean? Once you get yeah. to the recommendations, you're like, oh, okay. <laughs> That's Because yeah, they
1: figured like. it out on their own, and so they thought, oh, look at where we can go. Right, like if this you had idea, sat down and you would like-
0: talk to to Kasa, uh, <laughs> Kasa uh, would have been like, no, no, we, we shouldn't restrict these things to adult
2: only vape shops, and here's why. Yeah, you know something I would like for people to to research and look at, and I know one company has already um, sort of taken steps, at least from their own marketing. So, you know, everybody should know what the power wall is. If you're not familiar with that term, it is the wall of cigarettes and other tobacco products that you see directly behind the cash register at the convenience store or gas station. It's the power wall because it's directly in your line of sight and you can't avoid it. Uh, and the products that you will find most prominently placed on that power wall are cigarettes. Uh, whenever I have to go into a convenience store or even you know back when uh, Walgreens was still selling vapor products, I would always look to see where the vapor products are. And you usually have to do one of these and you've got to search, find it. It's usually in the lower corner or way off to the side.
1: You mean not by the candy?
2: No, not by the candy. It's behind That's the That's where counter.
1: they always say it is. They put it's these things the by the
2: candy. candy. <laughs> um, and... Uh, you know, so just as an example, um, I, I and I, Swedish Match uh, actually debuted a display case for their Snus products uh, at Snuscon several years ago, and uh, it, it really is kind of amazing. It's it's a bright white kind of plastic shield, uh, and it I think might take up maybe two rows, or even if it's just one row, it is bright. It is. You know, the deal is to even if you can't put it right in the center of the power wall, it still stands out from the rest of the products. I don't know that it's possible to enact regulation uh, that would, uh, you know, force tobacco companies to put the lowest risk products in the most prominent eye line or, or space on that power wall. That's what I would like to see as opposed to uh restricting sales of flavored products to to adult-only establishments. The flavored vapor products, the flavored smokeless tobacco, the flavored nicotine pouches, those should be the products most prominently featured behind the cash register. People should have to look a little bit for the cigarettes. And most people who smoke don't actually have to look, right? you know the brand of cigarettes that you're smoking. And so I I wouldn't have even had
0: to to look anywhere. I could just walk. I wouldn't even have to know if it's in stock. I would just walk in and ask for
2: my brand. Now I used to like, I smoked cools for many years and I liked them in soft packs and not every gas station. It seemed to be that they, a lot of places like they either carried cool or they carried Salem. So I I knew the gas stations, at least in, in, in my little corner of North Jersey I knew which ones sold my brand and in the package that I liked. Um, so, you know, it took me a little while to figure it out. But yeah, exactly. Yeah. Just, camel filters were sold far and wide.
0: <laughs> yeah. You know, like it, I it, never had to even look. I would just walk in. Can I get a bag? In the 90s filters?
1: for a little bit. I smoked Capri 100s. <laughs> nice.
0: <laughs> yeah, you might have to look for those. You might have to do one <laughs> of those. They were so <laughs>
1: skinny. there were these little things. I was tending bars so i liked them because if i put them down they went out they didn't taste nasty when you're (laughs) little that's back when you can still smoke a bars too so it tells you how long ago it was (laughs) yeah so i couldn't find mine always when i was smoking those marble line 100s those you didn't even really have to you didn't have to look at a wall i mean that's absolutely true alex that's just absolutely true that's why i always laugh when they talked about about this whole thing about advertising and and getting people to smoke that advertising. No, it's brand wars. They're trying to switch people over to their brand. They're not marketing to anybody, but people who are smoking cigarettes already because nobody's going to go smoke a cigarette. It's like saying,
0: Oh, it's like saying car
1: ads are trying to, it's like saying car ads are trying to entice little kids. You know, it's like, no, they adults who buy cars, you know, it
2: just, it's yeah. just silly. I, you know, I, I, I don't know. I think I've got some memories jumbled up in my head, but I, I remember when I was a, a teenager um, and I was starting to go through that rebellious phase. Um, I, cigarettes weren't really a big deal that young. I mean, we're talking like 11, 12 years old, but I remember, I think there was a bus shelter it was some sort of, it was weird because I don't remember the public transportation and in my I lived in the suburbs of, of Chattanooga, Tennessee. And I for some reason I remember an, a Newport ad on a bus shelter in the neighborhood. And it was like, you know, it was a, a probably twenty-five to thirty year old white guy, blonde hair, you know, on his sailboat. Smoking a newport, new, fresh. Whatever. Well, that's always been like the Newport pleasure, right? Yeah. That's always been kind of the I I remember looking at that ad and thinking, I don't want anything to do with that guy. I don't I don't <laughs> like his sailboat. I don't like his attitude. I don't like his polo shirt. I don't want anything to do with him. I don't want anything to do with him or his cigarettes. You, you know, I don't ultimately, think, ultimately, I don't, ultimately I
1: honestly don't think I ever noticed a cigarette ad until I started smoking. I don't think I even paid attention. No, so that I think for I most young smoking. people,
0: I think the biggest influence for young people in and smoking is not advertising. It's it's their peers and their parents and the people around them who who smoke. Like that's you you know when when you're a kid and you walk into the 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 store and you're going to go get a soda and have a candy bar or whatever. Most most kids pay no attention to the the power wall of tobacco. Behind the cashier, they're looking at, you know, Snickers lie. and gummies and candies and soda and and all that stuff. But what's going to influence them is whether or not their parents smoke and what their parents smoke or the products that their parents their use or their, or their siblings. and their peers. Exactly like that, I think, is solely like the biggest influential decision in a youth in a young person. As to whether or do. not they're going to use
2: and what they're going to use, right? It's it's, it's not a matter of opinion. This has there's, there's, there's research on this. Yeah. The, single, the single most significant determining factor as to whether or not a young person will grow up to smoke cigarettes is whether or not a, a parent or it's really it's a parent um, that that if they smoke caretaker and, and yeah. it, it, there's a difference. I, I think because of of gender roles, things are changing now. But uh, you know the the way that has been this has been talked about is if dad smokes, you have like a, a high eighty percent chance, or maybe it's like ninety percent or something like that uh, chance of uh, smoking. If mom smokes, it's north of ninety percent likelihood. If both parents smoke, it only goes up to like ninety four percent. So that that tells so the you maternal that, you know, parent
0: that that parent is a, a real big factor. I wonder. I wonder what that is. Is that like? Is that like that that maternal like caregiver safety, all of those things that come along with that 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 increase that or?
1: Well, consider too that yeah, I don't know. Far, interesting, it's those are can interesting numbers though. Am I? Can you hear me or not? Yeah. Go ahead. Okay. I mean, consider too that that. Smoking is more prevalent in lower-income families, and there's a lot of single moms in lower-income families. So hmm. you're going to have a lot of people who smoke who had a mom who smoked, maybe more than their dad. So I mean, there's a yeah. lot of things that can come into play. I Dad yeah, with laughing. most
0: things, never just one reason, right? There's always yeah, there's yeah. always multiple reasons. But
1: I was laughing because a couple of days ago I was I was scrolling through Twitter and an ad popped up, and it was for Skittles. And it was for Skittle gummies, I guess, that had just come out. Hmm. And it was there's some there's some ladies exercising on the TV, and a middle aged man, middle aged white guy, sitting on his couch squeezing the gummies, like that's exercise or so. I'm like, who are they advertising to? You know, Candy's supposed to just be for kids? You know, and I, I just I didn't get that. I'm like, how can they watch the? You know, here's an ad right here for Skittles. Yeah. I mean, that's uh... that's what they're trying to get people to come to their brand. You know, advertising doesn't get people to just buy stuff usually. I think it's more all kind of advertising is more about brand recognition than it is about getting people to buy it. We know you're looking. It's like like those ad thing where you start thinking about, you know, I need a new car. I think I want a Honda or something. And then this particular model. And then you just see it everywhere.
0: Yeah. It's like I. I. The town that I live in, in western New York, I had no idea that there were that many people in this town that drove Jeeps until I bought a Jeep. Once I had a Jeep, all I saw was like a sea of (laughs) Jeeps everywhere. Everybody owned a Jeep all of a sudden.
1: All right. Well, we're digressing. The only thing I had to say on this one, and I'm going to add this to the stream real quick, was somebody did respond to this. And um, I pull this up. These guys, it just, it, it, it cracks me up because uh, Juca here, she, you go to my Twitter, which you can see is at Noel at, under, at no underscore Marsh, um, and you, you can pull up what their response to it is. And it's just so hysterical because their response to a paper saying we need to not focus so much on the children and think about the adults was, well, think about the children. <laughs> You have to read this. thing. I mean, it's so, I mean, the first thing they pull up is, is, you know, well, kids are, kids are vaping and, or, you know, the, the kids, the kids, the kids, you know, yeah, I understand if you're an adult and stuff, but think about the fact that there's a kid, you know, what if you're a parent and your kid's now addicted, you know, of course they couldn't come up with anything better than addiction. And um, I forget what the other thing was, you can read it, you know, you pull it up on the Twitter there. It's, it's, it, but just, just the irony that, here, they're, they're responding to a paper criticizing them for focusing on the kids by saying, well, what about the kids? It's just it's just this mindset of, I don't get it, I don't get it. And Skip is saying that there's two responses to, the, to that paper. Skip, is this one like under that paper, this one that I just showed, that I'm showing on the screen right now, or?
2: Are these responses the- on, in the journal?
1: Yeah, she says there's two responses in journal, but I'm wondering if this is one of the responses or if that's a separate thing, I don't know. The PHE ones are in support oh the two that are wait, one is from Martin Dockrell and one from PHE do you understand that Alex
2: uh yeah one one is coming from Martin Dockrell and the other response is from Public Health England is that, oh, okay. is that, is that right? yeah I
1: guess okay yeah so I mean yeah but with this paper I don't know I don't know if that was a response or or not but it just it just killed me. It just, and and you know, Joe Gichel. Um, mm-hmm. uh, sure, he's the one who tweeted that originally, but it only had the first page. So I, originally, I was only able to see the first page, and uh, he was saying, "Well, is this an alternate view? What do you think?" Doubling down—that's basically what they're doing. They're doubling down. Kids are more important, you know, it, and they just don't get it. They just don't, and they just never look at the fact that. Most, you know, if you go to any website, I was trying to get something together for this. I wanted to do some kind of meme or something because it's like they all say, well, most smokers, most people who smoke start when they're teens. They'll say that they start when they're teens. Most 90 percent, you know, 80 percent, whatever number they come up with, they start in their teens. And then they come back and they say um, that, you know, teens, that, that, that it's good for adults to be using vaping because it takes them off of smoking. So that may be a benefit. But then when, it, and then they say, well, you know, all these teens are vaping, this is bad. And then they say, then it comes out the news. Well, all that we've got record low teen smoking rates, which means that we'll have record low adult smoking rates. Cause these teens would have grown up to be adults who smoke. And most of these teens are vaping because of flavors so we need to ban flavors. It's like they don't take it to the end. It's like, you already know that most of these teens, most most of the smokers today are started as teens. You've got that in your head. And now you see that they're vaping and then you see that they're not smoking and you say they're vaping because of the flavors and they're not smoking, so we need to ban flavors. What do you think is going to happen? How can you not see that this is a benefit? Did I freeze again? No, you're there. You guys both were so still I couldn't tell.
0: <laughs> no, we're just listening contently.
1: <laughs> but how do you not how do you not take that next step and see that okay now when you get rid of the vaping for the teens, get rid of the flavors, these teens will now go on to be smoking adults. Right. How, that disconnect. That's the
0: gateway, though, right? If there is a gateway that exists between Vaping and smoking. The gateway is when people lose access to those safer alternatives like vaping and fall back to either what they know or the only thing that remains
2: available. Yeah, I, I, I forget who said it. It wasn't me. But um, I agree that, you know, it's a bit of it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Exactly. Um, from from tobacco control. And uh, I don't know that we've seen it yet. Uh, but it's likely, uh, you know, depending on what happens after September, um, you know, I, I think many of us are expecting youth smoking to go back up. Um, and, and of course, smoking and adults will go back up as well. Um, so I, 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 would suspect that that would be the moment that we would see things from, you know, campaign and truth and saying, see, look, uh, they will, all went on in smoking. It's, it's a gateway. Yeah. I know Uh, A while, while ago, uh,
0: I had a conversation about this with Michelle Mitten um, about that exact thing, that self-fulfilling prophecy, that uh, that idea of like, you know, we're kind of we've been ringing the words gateway for so long about this, or at least anti nicotine and tobacco folks have. Yet we don't see it in the data. We don't see it in smoking rates. We don't see it yet. But. Again, once we get rid of, you know, people lose access to this, in, in particular, teenagers, whatever that access may be. Um, yeah, the alternative that's left for those who are going to choose to use nicotine, the only products that will be available are combustible. Like that's that is the self-fulfilling prophecy. And they
1: don't get that. They just They just ignore that. It's so frustrating. It's like you guys can see the progress. You know that every adult who's almost every adult who's smoking right now started as a teenager. So bringing down teenage smoking should be the most important thing. You see, the vaping went up, the smoking went down. Vaping went up because of flavors. Now you want to ban flavors, and there's just there's no evidence at all that it's leading to teen smoking. And if you and and look at what happened with from my take, you know, vaping went down. What happened? Smoking yeah. went up. They're going to pretend that it's not a thing or they're going to say, look, all these teens now who were vaping back then are smoking now.
0: I mean, we saw this in San Francisco, right? When yeah. we when we banned uh, flavor, San Francisco is a, a great example of uh, a place that saw a rise in smoking rates that followed flavor bans and taxes and things like that as well. So, yeah, I think. What do you think? Do you think that's a solid place to end that? We are rapidly approaching the mm-hmm. two
2: I, uh, I I do, and and I think this is a good place to wrap up. But I did want to touch on the comment from Mallory Gates um, about uh, the the candy cotton can, cotton candy vodka and kids. Uh, I can't remember if I said this at the beginning of the podcast, but it certainly bears repeating. I went and looked on um, uh, one of the national institutes. It's, it's NIAA, National Institute of Alcohol Addiction or Abuse, or whatever horrible call, name they call it. Um, but uh, yeah, stop youth, punching alcohol. Youth drinking uh, is uh, a maybe much, much bigger problem. Uh, yeah. If we are weighing the uh, harm to young people, uh, alcohol is, is a much more immediate threat. Uh, and I think one of the numbers that was maybe from two or three years ago was uh, teenage binge, drink, binge drinking was like 14 of, percent of teens are binge drinking. Um, If you don't know what binge drinking is all about, uh, I have plenty of experience with it, Um, getting blackout drunk for several years. Um, And I can tell you, I put myself into some really compromising situations uh, and count myself as fortunate to have survived this long. Um, So, you know, this ties into this paper and things that we were discussing earlier is uh, what is the acceptable level We don't see, I tweeted this in response to somebody else earlier today. Um, You know, we're not seeing the well-funded anti-alcohol campaigns demanding that flavors are taken off the shelves. And yet, I believe it's something around 5,000 kids every year are killed uh, or die in some sort of alcohol-related mishap or uh, because of drinking too much alcohol itself. Um, So we seem to be okay with the number of kids who are drinking and yet it poses a much more immediate threat than nicotine or even smoking um and so yeah i hate to do i hate to do the alcohol comparison this, uh,
0: national institute on alcohol abuse and alcoholism that's what uh, yeah, you were yeah so uh just to define page, it. But. here you go this is their definition
2: we have four drinking. four or more drinks in a two hour period, which that um, used to just be a Friday night, man. Yeah, like that was that was a pregame. Uh, <laughs> in
0: for
1: That's me. Wisconsin. I mean, hell. also,
0: I would really love it if we moved away from the phrasing that we're uh, we're we're abusing substances. Yeah. Stop punching you your cocaine. You don't, Please don't do not your kick drug. your vodka. <laughs> uh, do not, you know verbally abuse your drugs and call them names and things like yeah
1: unless they like it
0: i mean maybe some people are masochists i don't know if my cocaine was a masochist or not but (laughs) anyways i just wanted to put out the 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 definition there from a, a horribly named institute anyways what do you guys say
2: I think that's, I think the, uh, don't punch your cocaine in the face is probably a good place to leave it.
0: Yeah. I would much rather cocaine <laughs> punch me in the face than me punch cocaine in the face. And on that
1: note,
0: Be nice to your not Be nice, be nice to all of your substances. Uh, and hopefully they're nice to you. Anyways, I think that's, uh, I think that's where we're going to wrap this week up. Do we have any final thoughts to leave, uh, our viewers with today and listeners before I run through the whole spiel? <laughs>
2: Go for the spiel. Go for the spiel?
0: Okay. Uh, Thank you, everybody, for tuning in today. To everybody who's here, everybody who tuned in, everybody who's coming back, everybody who's tuning into the replays. Thank you uh thank you thank you and for podcast listeners there will be two versions i repeat two versions of this podcast available out there wherever you listen to your podcast there will be the full version that you can tune into to listen to all of our hot takes and uh and the deep dive or if you want to tune into just the legislative rundown you can do that as well short sweet to the point and what you need to know uh but that is where we're going to wrap things up this week if anybody out there has not yet joined kasan please head over to kasan.org become a member it is Free, uh, you can sign up for all the emails and and calls to actions and things like that. Check out our merch store; we have some really great stuff. There's a ton of ways to support Casal, whether it's through donations or picking up some sweet swag. Head over to Cassa.org, become a member, and also, while you're there, share your story. Our testimonial page is a great place to not only uh, see and hear from all the other people who have uh, quit smoking and transitioned onto safer nicotine alternatives, but it's a great place for you to share your story as well. We have, uh, what, 13,000-plus testimonials from members, but we could definitely use millions billions. I don't know what's next. Trillions? We need trillions. Anyways, head over to org, Please, you guys, and uh, everybody out there, stay safe, be excellent to each other. We will be here next week. Same time, same place, 4.30 p.m. Eastern, 1.30 p.m. Uh, Pacific, as I refer to them as West Coast and Best Coast uh, times. Anywhere in between or elsewhere around the world, you're going to have to do the math yourself. I'm not very good at time zones, but I know those two just because... El Presidente of the board, Danielle, is all the way over the, All the, what? What's that? 3.30 in the
1: Midwest.
0: 3.30 <laughs> in the Midwest. There you go. Uh, yeah, and Danielle's over on the West Coast. That's the only reason I remember that one. But that's going to do it for us, everybody. Thank you one last time, and we will catch you guys next week.